Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is John. I'm here with my brothers, Peter and Michael. Mancast is your weekly adventure into the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we will be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots, your backpack, grab your compass and your map, and let's get rolling. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, help us pray well. Help us be authentic and uh, open to everything that you have for us today and have for us to share. Please bless our families and uh, keep us on, on the path. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All right. Well, we're going to move into evening prayer tonight, and actually we're going to change things up a little bit. So we we kind of uh, did a little bait and switch here on any of our customers that show up tonight. But uh, today is a wonderful feast day in the church, and it's the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is not when Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary. And it's also not a pass caught in a football game <laughs> years ago either. So it's, ne it's neither of those. It's actually the Immaculate Conception is when Mary was conceived in the womb of her mother, Anne, and she was conceived without sin. And that is a dogma of the church and for good reason because <clears throat> the god man was going to come into her through her womb and so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight and how how in the world would that idea tie into masculine spirituality so we're going to dig into some really interesting things tonight and some things we've talked around the campfire before so this is going to be a great night but we're going to start with uh, evening prayer and uh, so, God, come to my assistance. Lord, Lord make haste to help me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You are all beautiful, O Mary. In you there is no trace of original sin. I rejoiced when I heard them say, let us go to God's house. And now our feet standing within the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city, strongly compact. It is there that the tribes go up, the tribes of the land. For Israel's law it is there to praise the Lord's name. There were set the thrones of judgment of the house of David. For the peace of Jerusalem pray, peace be to your homes. May peace reign in your walls and in your palaces, peace. For the love of my brethren and friends, I say, peace upon you. For love of the house of the Lord, I ask for your good. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the <clears> beginning, is <throat> now, and will be forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is... Oops, wrong one. Sorry, men. You are, you are all beautiful, O Mary. Mary in you there, there, is there is no, no trace, trace of original sin. sin. You are the glory of Jerusalem, the joy of Israel. You are the fairest honor of our race. If the Lord does not build the house in vain, do its builders labor. If the, labor, if the Lord does not watch over the city, in vain does the watchman keep vigil. In vain is your earlier rising you're going later to rest you who toil for the bread you eat when he pours gifts on your beloved while they slumber truly sons are a gift from the lord a blessing the fruit of the womb indeed the sons of youth are like arrows in the hand of a warrior oh the happiness of the man who has filled his quiver with these arrows he will have no cause for shame when he disputes with his foes in the gateways Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You are the glory of Jerusalem, the joy of Israel. You are the fairest honor of our race. 
The robe you wear is white as spotless snow. Your face is radiant like the sun. Praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. God chose us in him before the world began to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be his adopted sons through Jesus Christ. Such was his will and pleasure that all might praise the glorious favor he has bestowed on us in his beloved. In him and through his blood, we have been redeemed and our sins forgiven. So immeasurably generous is God's favor to us. God has given us the wisdom to understand fully the mystery, the plan he was pleased to do to decree in Christ a plan to be carried out in Christ in the fullness of time to bring all things into one in him in the heavens and on the earth glory to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning beginning, is now and will be forever forever. amen the robe you wear is white as spotless snow your face is radiant like the sun Michael. Okay. <clears throat> Despite the increase of sin, grace has far surpassed it. So that as sin reigned through death, grace may reign by way of justice, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> by this I know you have chosen me. By this I know you have chosen me. You have not let my enemy triumph over me. You have chosen chosen me. me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. By this this I know know you have have chosen chosen me. me. And if you go to the canticle of Mary, we will then pray each stanza just as we did the Psalms, every other one to each, each man. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked favor on his lowly servant. Sorry, can you, can you go ahead, Pete? Yeah, uh, from this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as now, and will be forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. you. Blessed are Blessed are you among women. And blessed is blessed the fruit, is of, the your fruit womb. of your womb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us praise God, our Almighty Father, who wished that Mary, his son's mother, be celebrated by each generation. Now in need we ask. Mary, full of grace, intercede for us. O God, worker of miracles, you made the Immaculate Virgin Mary share body and soul in your Son's glory in heaven. Direct the hearts of your children to the same glory. You made Mary you made... our mother. Through her intercession, great strength to the weak, comfort to the sorrowing, pardon to sinners. Salvation, Salvation and, and peace to all. Peace to all. You made Mary the mother of mercy. May all who are faced with trials trials feel her her motherly motherly love. love. You wish Mary to 
to be the mother of the family in the home of Jesus and Joseph. May all the mothers of families foster love and holiness through her intercession. You crown Mary, Queen of Heaven. May all the dead rejoice in your kingdom with the saints forever. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Michael, would you take that final prayer, please? Father, you prepared the Virgin Mary to be worthy, to be the worthy mother, mother of your son. You let her share beforehand in the salvation Christ would bring by his death and kept her sinless from the first moment of her conception. Help us by her prayers to live in your presence without sin. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And may the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. All right. So, yeah, what a great feast day. So just three months ago, we had the feast of the birth of Mary, which was on September 8th. So here three months later, on December 8th, we're celebrating the feast day of her conception and uh, in her mother's womb. So nine months from today will be September 8th again, and Mary will be born again, and we will be celebrating that feast day. Uh, what's interesting about this feast day is the, the readings that uh, are part of this feast day. So uh, at Mass today, we had part of the reading from the book of Genesis. But before I get into that, I want to uh, tell a little bit of story. Like a few years ago when Laura and I were first married, we went to Italy and visited a lot of churches and stuff. And I remember going into this one church, and there was this huge painting a mural on the wall on the wall ceiling of the church and it was of the virgin mary and there was an an american flag in the picture and i was like what's that all about well it just so happens that the virgin mary is the patronal feast of the united states of america and i'm not sure how many people actually know that right so uh pope uh, blessed Pius IX solemnly defined the traditional belief of the church. The Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived out of original sin, and then at the at the uh, and then Mary has been the she's the patron of the United States of America. <laughs> which is, is really an amazing, an amazing thing. So at the beginning of the Mass, we start uh, to talk about Genesis. And the readings in the, the Mass today, and I know my two brothers were both at Mass today, so they, they remember very well where, where the, uh, the Genesis story picks up. And it picks up like the Lord's come walking back into the garden, and he's a little bit upset with the uh, the events that have <clears throat> taken place. Anybody want to pick up on what's going on at that point? Yeah, Adam had just eaten the fruit. And 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 then what? So what does the Lord say to Adam? It's like why why <laughs> why yeah. are you hiding? And then he does the famous. The she first, did it. <laughs> the first throw, the first throw down under the bus, right? Yeah. So it's like, 
why did you eat the apple? And Adam says, well, that woman that you gave me, you know, the one that I, you know, I didn't want her, you gave her to me, right? You took, you made her out of my rib and, and then, then you, so you burdened me with her. Well, she gave it to me, right? <laughs> and then, then what happens? And then, uh, then the woman says, it was the snake. The serpent, he did it, right? He said, the serpent did it to me. And uh, he made me do it. And so the Lord looks at the serpent. What's kind of interesting at that point, the, the questions are, there's no more questioning done, right? So the Lord, the Lord looks at the serpent and says, because you've done this, I'm going to separate you from the rest of the animal kingdom. And you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dirt. And from this day forward, you and the woman are going to, and her seed are going to be at enmity. And it says that he, meaning the seed of the woman, will strike at your head, and you, the serpent, will strike at his heel. So this is really interesting stuff. And I, you know, I, Jordan Peterson's really been quite good at getting into some of the biblical things, but I don't think he's ever really gotten into this story, perhaps the way we're going to get into it a little bit tonight. So, uh, and, and how this story really ties into this whole concept of masculine and masculine spirituality and the feminine genius. So, uh, going back to that, um, that first part of Genesis, in Genesis 1, or in Genesis 2, rather. Uh, well, let's just talk about Genesis 1 a little bit, because in Genesis 1, it's like the Lord's created the heavens and the earth, and then at the end of this whole creation story, uh, he creates man. Male and female, he created them. So he kind of, this, this Genesis 1 story is about this this rising up of this building up of all of creation and the, the crowning glory of creation then is this creation of the male and the female male and female. He created them. And then the beginning of Genesis two, all of a sudden it says, these, these are the generations of the creation or something like that. But then the creation story is told anew. And in this new creation story, it's like God, is by himself and he reaches down to the primordial elements of earth and water, <clears throat> takes the earth and the water and he makes this creature and he breathes the breath of life into this creature. And then he's just made a man. This is a, this is a new development, right? It's like, he's going back to the, so this, this male creature is made, and then what, what happens next? And this is before the garden, right? This is before the garden is made. And uh, so there's no garden. So there's this male creature that's just been made out of the dirt. And then the next thing the Lord does is he starts to build the Garden of Eden. So he starts to build these creatures, and as he's building these creatures, he brings these creatures to the, the man creature, and he asks the, the man, what shall I name these creatures? And the man who, in the, in the original Yahweh's text, uh, uh, the, the man, I'm trying to think what his name is, Ish, I believe, and so he comes in and to each with each one of these creatures he's making in the garden and ask what he should name them. So he, so he makes this entire garden of Eden and then he takes the man and he plants him in the garden of Eden. Now what's interesting about that is the woman has not been made yet. There is still no woman. So it's an amazing, I amazing thought that this, male creature is with God the Father in the beginning of time in the original solitude with God the Father, and he's watching God the Father build the Garden of Eden. So in a sense, it's like he's in the original solitude with God the Father, but he's also at the, at the knee of the Father in the original workshop. 
So here we have the male creature experiencing the first male creature experiencing what it's like to be next to dad alone with dad and then watching dad build. And this is just this great impression on the male creature about trying to understand how you build stuff, how you put stuff together. And then he plants him in the garden of Eden and he has him name all these creatures that he's just made, but there's still no woman yet. So at the, um, what does he do? He looks around and he said, there's still no partner in a sense suited for the man creature. So what does he do? Puts him into a deep sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> and? Uh, borrows a river too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty interesting, right? So he puts the man into a deep sleep. He takes his rib away from him and he proceeds to build a woman out of the rib flesh of my flesh <laughs> so the interesting thing about that is that the man creature was awake while god the father was building all the other creatures but he's asleep when god the father is building the woman so in a sense mm -hmm. The man creature is kind of a kind of at home with all these other creatures he seemed to be built, but the woman creature is kind of like a great mystery to him. But he understands that the woman creature is made of his stuff, right? So she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Hmm. Hmm. So here's this man creature that's like, he's all about like building stuff and knows how things fit, to, fit together. And then the woman creature, though, when she comes to life, what's the first thing she sees? Him. A him and all of creation at the same time as well. So she sees, I mean, like the sky, the trees. Yeah, everything. Everything she sees, everything. So, her first impression is this everything, right? Finished All creation, product. pardon the finished product. Yeah, she's seeing and she's seeing it in its entirety the finished product. So, kind of interesting how that experience of the first time she's opening her eyes, she's seeing there's Adam, he's right in front of me. And then behind him and going away from it is this, this entire creation. So she's seeing it like with like the first eyes that have ever seen all of creation. She's seeing it all at the same time. And it's in its great beauty. A completely different experience for her. Yeah. I mean, how does that? <clears throat> yeah. Just just the imagination of like you have no like us, we have how we gradually come to know existence, right? Reality and things, right? Trees and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> how we start to think, look at stuff categorically and put them into our own little world. And then here she just has like, bam, like, you know, just, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't even how do you consciously, right? Take that in outside of just some intuitive knowledge, right? <laughs> like, you're right. Like, I don't know, just complete innocence of anything, really. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to imagine, like, you know, not existing and then coming or just is that a sudden realization, you know, waking up and just like, oh, you know, you know, what was her sense of identity and her relation to all that? Right. I mean, that that sense of relation, how we look at stuff and relate it. And I don't know. I mean, I just I don't know. <laughs> you can't I can't you can't even fathom really. Right. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> It seems, I mean, if we think about this, this amazing difference between the male and the female of our species, it seems to be a lot like that. So like where the male creature is kind of focused on things, mm. he's seen things being built by God the Father in the original workshop and created things, right, and sees how they fit together. 
Like, so first of all, he experienced the original solitude of being alone with God father. Then he was in the original workshop. And in a sense, Eve coming onto the scene right at the, when everything is there all of a sudden and seeing with these new eyes, the entirety of creation all at once, it's like, that's the original relationship. She sees all of, all of creation in this original relationships. It has this profound effect on her. So she sees almost like systems thinking like right now, right? She doesn't see the, the underlying way that it's all been built up, but she sees the relationship of everything with like fresh, innocent eyes for the first time. So she has this great appreciation for relationship. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I mean, you would imagine that, you know, Adam is showing her, I mean, showing her around. <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, like, hey, check this out, you know. <laughs> yeah, <Don't> but <laughs> the, the perspective is entirely different, though, because she came into it seeing it all, already done. So he like, you know, how, like we do stuff sometimes and like we see it from start to finish and then we'll show it to somebody else and they'll be like, look at this. And you'll be like. I didn't even see that. I made this, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of funny how that relationship works. Like that other half, like they, like my mom um, shows me stuff like that all the time. Like the other day, I think we were talking and uh, she said, when, when's the last time you went to adoration out of nowhere? And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, okay, dude. I was like, you're right. You're right, mom. And then I went to adoration that day. It was beautiful. But I mean, like, hmm. like, it's funny how we know these certain things or like we think we know something and then that new perspective is brought into hmm. it. It's beautiful. That's, that's really, that is interesting because, you know, we've talked a number of times. I know with, with our band of brothers we have in general, like if we, if we talk to one, one another and we see, uh, you know, my brother seems to be bothered right now. A lot of times I've heard it said towards me and I know I've said it towards other men. When's the last time you went to confession? Mm. Right. And it's interesting how your mother says, when's the last time you went to adoration? It's almost like two completely different ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's funny. Hmm. So what's interesting about this, uh, in bringing this back to the, uh, the Immaculate Conception, is that here's the first Adam put together from, say, the primordial stuff of the universe at the beginning of creation, which in the uh, original Hebrew text, by the way, that, that word Adama, like after Adam, but Adama is the feminine form of Earth. So Earth has this feminine name. So Adam would be male, where Adama would be female, but it refers to the Earth. Hmm. So the original Adam is built out of this, in a sense, the stuff of the. Uh, of the universe that God made that is inanimate and it is of it's, it has a female type of name, right? So here we come back to 2000 years ago when here Mary is conceived out of sin, like the new stuff of the universe, right? The new female stuff of the universe. And the Lord God comes to her and he makes the perfect man. He, and he brings the perfect man into the womb, the womb of, the, of the sinless woman. It's almost like here it is, it's happening again. So in that sense, we've heard a lot as, as uh, Catholics that Jesus is the new Adam. So in a sense, he's being formed out of this higher level of sinless stuff of in the womb of the woman, right? This new man, this, this perfect man. 
Hmm. Right. I mean, they say, yeah, everything bodily can, everything that, everything about Christ then is, you know, bodily speaking, right, came from her, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, DNA, DNA and all that, right? It was essentially. Well, that's a good question. Now let's, <laughs> let's muse about that a little bit. So, what what is the DNA part of us that makes us different from the woman? <clears throat> if we think about our DNA, what is it that we have that the woman doesn't have? The Y. Why did you say? The, the Y chromosome. <laughs> the chromosome. The Y chromosome. Exactly. And not why are you asking that question. But the yeah, y sorry. Chromosome. So, no, that's good. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. So in this, um, in the genetic sciences, there, it's been discovered that there they've actually discovered in genetic sciences that everybody, every human being on the face of the earth today is related to only one female ancestor going back. Hmm. Maybe 80,000 years ago, there's one female ancestor of our race who is the great, great grandmother of everybody on the face of the earth today. There's also, believe it or not, a male ancestor that everybody on the face of the earth today is related to. Now, this is a finding of modern genetic science, and they're called Adam and Eve, right? It's kind of one of those strange things that... Uh, so... And the, the other studies that have come along about this, it appears now that when they look at when did this Eve exist, it may have been around, let's say, 80 to 120,000 years ago. And when did the Adam creature live who had that original Y chromosome that is in all of our bodies, that, that, that he's our great-great-grandfather who we possess his Y chromosome. He then lives sl slightly older than her, maybe as much as, believe it or not, 250,000 years ago. Hmm. Hmm. That's wild. It is wild. So it's kind of like one of those places, like <clears throat> we think about faith and science and how the two can come together. Um, if you look, think about the Big Bang, right? So we find that, you know, as scientists, physicists, and uh, cosmologists study the origins of the universe, we've discovered that, guess what? There was, an, uh, there was a first creation event. Nobody believed that, right? But here, lo and behold, there's this first creation event that actually Judeo-Christianity says that there was an original creation event. So it's the, the like the only religion in the history of the world that has said that there was an original creation event out of nothingness. And lo and behold, it aligns with modern physics and cosmology that there was actually a creation event. And we come down in time here that we all of a sudden we have genetic sciences that are saying there's one ancestor of everybody on the face of the earth woman there's one ancestor of everybody on the face of the earth man and it appears that the man lived before the woman by a bit right which is sort of reflective of genesis too so that the man was on the face of the earth living there yeah was well, this that study that you did um was that a Penn State or something like that? Or that's a different one. You, I think you're referring to the brain studies. Uh, I, yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I was thinking the one that I remember you giving us this article and, and links to the study. I didn't, I get, a, I didn't get a chance to to cover it, but I thought it was out of Penn. But yeah, 
Hmm. It is interesting. I, mean, I guess it kind of brings into the whole idea of, you know, you know, the whole idea of evolution, right? The idea of the slow development, right? I mean, when the church says it doesn't matter how long, you know, it took for, <laughs> for them to bring it to come into existence that, you know, it could have taken a while. <laughs> well, right. yeah. I mean, it's some, some people, let's say, if you think about the umbrella of our church, so there are some people within under the umbrella of our church that really insist that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Right. So it all had to happen within the past 6,000 years. <clears throat> yeah. The young earth. Yeah. Yeah. Now I personally am not a, uh, that's not my opinion, but yeah, you know, yeah. I'm I'm kind of like an old earth type guy, you might say, right? So, <laughs> and I'm I'm willing to let the Lord figure out how He's going to produce this. I'm not going to try to hold Him to some specific process over some specific time frame. So, yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting that the church allows us, you know, kind of a large breadth of interpretation there, but then they're fairly definitive about some things that have to be. Right, that God, in fact, did create man, did did in fact create Adam and Eve, and however long that took, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and there's this whole question, you know, that like, uh, there's this whole question about allegory within our faith, and it's and uh, one of the guys I like to listen to on EWTN is uh, uh, Dr. David Anders. You listen to him much. He's on EWTN like three o'clock in the at maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. He does this segment called called to communion. Hmm. He's a pretty smart guy. He's a, he's one of those uh, converts again. And he was, uh, he was kind of uh, took that, that Scott Hahn approach where he was going to, he was going to seminary like Presbyterian seminary. Hmm. He was a Calvinist. Yeah. And he was basically, he was on this, uh, in this journey to prove the Catholics were wrong, right? I'm going to, I'm going to dig into the faith, man. I'm going to get into it deep and I'm going to prove these Catholics are a bunch of heretics. And then of course, what he did, he started studying the church fathers and the doctors of the church. And he, then he converted himself to, to Catholicism. So, uh, but anyway, he's really interesting. And he talks about this. Okay. What's allegorical and what's not. <clears throat> and and I'm not I, I I'd it'd be nice to get more him have him more for me to understand more de definitively about what he's talking about. So obviously he believes that the Eucharist is the the soul divinity body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. So that is not allegory. No. He might talk about Job, for instance, like the book of Job. Mm -hmm. That could be allegory. Hmm. Yeah, it's um I mean what's got on, you know, I don't know who I remember just got on talking about right talks about true myth, right? <laughs> this idea of the idea of the truth. Everything, mm -hmm. every element in it is true. Right? Right. Uh but it's, you know, it's still a myth and a, you know, a different understanding, a take on myth, right? It's kind of a, you know, kind of what they kind of say about, you know, Lord of the Rings in some ways, but in a different way, right? Kind of this idea of this, it's a myth in a sense that, you know, all the elements that, um, you know, J.R.L. Tolkien brings into his, and that's why it resonates with people. It was just so, you know, as Peter Kraft says, it's so super real. Like it just, it, you know, people you know, are drawn to Lord of the Rings because it just, it's like people look at it and go, this is the way things should be in a lot of ways, you know, outside of the, you know, but it just kind of resonates with people in, in a mythical way, you know, and, and I was saying that by extension, it'd be almost like the same way with you know, Genesis. It's everything, every element about it is true, right? But it's, you know, it's in that mythological, you know, um, story, right? But, well, like Noah. It's a story, you know, how about the story of Noah? So there's so many elements in there, like the, you know, our, again, our young earth brothers are like going to be like, no, it has to, all these things have to be absolutely true. There's going to be like the bricks and the stones and the wood and, 
it actually happened in a particular way, like the Tower of Babel actually existed mm. and we've got stones and bricks from it. And or is the Tower of Babel like an allegory for when humanity gets kind of uppity, right? And it wants to create its own um make a name for itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like we're doing today, like there's so many, you know, or right now we're on the verge of people thinking that we're going to create this uh, amalgamation of, uh, of electronics and human stuff. And we're going to have this transformation and all of a sudden we're going to have this new creature that's going to, we're going to evolve into this new creature that's half, you know, technical construction and dna all kind of mixed together and we're going to live forever but but you know we're going to create that creature ourselves you mm. know is is that is that a uh you know there there's a name for that they call it the singularity and there's lots of smart people that are actually working on this well elon musk is working on it right now mm. so he's going to implant things in our brain so that all of a sudden we're going to start becoming this amalgamation of electronics and human dna and we're going to live forever so this is kind of that idea of the utopia you know we're building our own utopia mm. now i kind of think it's all going to kind of collapse down around us right like the tower of babel story so the tower of babel could not necessarily be a real tower but it's a allegory for human beings trying to build their own heaven out of earth, you know, trying to build a <clears throat> utopia. And then the, what's going to happen, it's going to collapse. Mm. Yeah. Only time will tell. It'll be interesting to see. It's an exciting time to be alive for sure. Yeah, there was something on TV the other day my wife was watching, and it had to do with a lot of the kind of this idea of, you know, wokeness and identity and, you know, like uh, this idea that you're just an individual living in a shell of a body and the body can be whatever you want it to be, right? Like denying the reality of the body and, um, you know, and disassociation with that. And so it's kind of a – so part of this, whatever she was watching, was talking about like this, this – these people were actually putting this stuff into this – you're basically a robot of sort and trying to amplify these memories into it. It was just kind of just like this. So kind of just so weird. I'm just like, and it wasn't like this health, like bionic type of, you know, it were really trying to create, recreate this other self and type of some, you know, inanimate thing that was, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of electronic and, and has, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. AI is coming a long way, but um, I mean, they're really trying to, put you know put all the memories and put all the self-learning into this thing it's kind of yeah kind of crazy but uh, that people even want this is just yeah it's gonna yeah it's instead of just seeing for what it is this yearning right for eternity and you know i don't know <laughs> it's uh it's kind of crazy how things are going i guess right yeah yeah, it's funny. I mean, there's always somebody that thinks there can be a utopia here, you know, instead of looking at things at face value. And, and like, like we talked about with Andrew, embracing the suck, as Jocko says, you know, with finding the joy in the work and in the grind and what we're doing and where we're going instead of trying to make things perfect here now you know what i mean like it's crazy that's pretty much what it's just a vicious cycle like honestly it's, it, the history is just repeating itself in a different way from my perspective you know it's like we're trying to escape from the cross yeah it's like less than a hundred years ago hitler tried to kill you know what i mean everybody that wasn't his idea you know to make the perfect world and here we are again it's like I'm not saying that that's what's coming, but yeah. 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 We, yeah. we live in, in dangerous times, right? I mean, COVID, I mean, obviously showed us that when you have people who Dude. have who know eternal perspective and they, this is all they have. It goes, you to shows the extremes are willing to go and fantasies of, um, about things about, you know, 
the measures they'll take to try to preserve what they have, right? I mean, um, if this is all you got, yeah, you're going to cling to it, right? Yeah. You're going to build robots of yourself and you're going to, you know, <laughs> go to these crazy links to, you know, um, in some ways denying, you know, reality the, that all things decompose and, and break down and denying physics at a deeper level, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Lori just uh sent a little message to us there transhumanism seems to ignore the presence of the soul and isn't that the truth i mean it's it actually doesn't believe you know the people that want to practice transhumanism i don't think they're just truly atheists right so they see the human person as just a hunk of clay Mm. a hunk of clay that has a limited uh utility and lifespan and they'd like to to turn it into something that is is manufactured or programmed to have eternal life by human beings. And I think that I think a lot of people think might be atheist and think that far along, but I think a lot of them also are just like so lazy. It's either like laziness or intimidation of having to do the work when you know that if you think about something that much that you'll have to do something about it. And I think I lived like that for a long time of just knowing, you know, like when I was like off the rails for a while, I was just like, well, if I think about this, then I'm going to have to change. So guess what? I'm not going to think about it. I'll do my best to ignore it. And I did a good job, you know, and just focused on the here and the now. And I think that there's a, a mix of that in there. But I think it it's scary how prevalent that is. I was talking to somebody about that today, about how it's just pure laziness and maybe even a fear of having to do something about it then uh then coming to the determination that you know nothing except what you see is real yeah yeah it's uh it's it's pretty amazing i somewhere in the heart of this whole transhumanism and all this stuff we're seeing today it's like so the transhumanism is kind of wrapped in with this whole idea of transgender stuff too right because it's Um, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like in with the transgender movement it's like the body is unimportant yeah it's an obstacle right yeah, it's like I feel I want to be this, or I, I feel something. So the feelings are trumping physical reality. And that's that. So Gnosticism was one of those heresies that was kind of like, well, it's only the spiritual that's important. The physical is unimportant. Without understanding, no, the physical is the expression of the spiritual. They, they, they work together hand in hand. And so, so this somehow this, uh, this, so this, this problem of transgenderism of people thinking, I want to change my body into being something that I'm not, I feel like I'm a boy, even though I'm a girl or vice versa, you know, or I could be a number of things and I want to be able to manipulate my body so that it can keep up with what my, my feelings are or whatever, right? That's a form of Gnosticism and it's not, it's not anchored in reality. Mm. yeah i mean this this uh yeah it's interesting my father uh you know our pastor was talking the other day about the incarnation and he, he was just talking about the, the importance of when we think about you know just for us as catholics you know our sacramental life and ten, this what christ brings us and um how much you know I don't know. That's the, I mean, for me in my own journey coming to the church and all those things about that are important, right? The sacraments and, and the fact that Christ was incarnate and what that all means about taking out a human and that he is in heaven and still in body, right? In body. And so there's this idea that he's, uh, you know, for us, how much the body is still important to us and our own identity and then, uh, um, and just in reality, like this, you know, and then to see the people that denying the reality, the flesh and the, the realities of biology. And, you know, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of, instead of embracing this idea of who we are, um, you know, and understanding the, the true science of things, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing where 
And I guess you see it both ends, right? People denying the soul, people denying the body, you know, uh, they don't know what to believe, right? They're kind of, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spirit in a shell, but I don't believe in soul. And it's just kind of this, you know, they don't like they, you start to question. They don't, they, they just get, they just kind of, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, and it's, you know, this whole, the whole thing about woke is that they're trying to deny, you know, you know, words such as, you know, being objective and truth and, Right, these these words that express reality, everything that that takes it back to to reality, words that express reality are, they're looking to undermine those or substitute those words for other things, right? And so it's it's just kind of crazy how the progress they're making, right? <laughs> and when we live in this digital world, and all you're doing is looking at your iPad or you're you're always you know living and see instead of see, living out in this world. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I'm, I, you know, Meta has not taken off as you know as quick as it should, you know as I thought it may be. You know, as people living in the you know, metaverse, so to speak. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of there's still hope for humanity, I guess. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think there always is. It's just like I think we we've talked about it before. We kind of tend to focus on the negative, um, and like those people on the extremes of both sides, like the left and the right, like those are the people you hear the most. And then I, I seriously think that most people are like minded with us and like what is actually going on, but they are just so loud on the extremes that that's what we tend to focus in on. That's what the media pushes and feeds us because that's what gets the clicks. You know what I mean? The views and all that stuff. So I think that, uh, I think you're right. We just need to reground ourselves and embrace the uh, the community we do have, the brotherhood we do have. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everybody that is like minded, where we're going, what's important. I mean, that's what I like about you know the ministry about you know wilderness outreach, right? It's there's something about right that getting back out into nature, and I think people people see that in lots of ways, and you know, they use these other things such as you know you know. <laughs> Yeah, forest, as they say, forest bathing, right? You know, <laughs> who says that, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> we don't say that. <laughs> we, we don't. But I'm, but I'm, what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, you see the society who says, hey, you know, in Japan, right, is a thing called forest bathing, right, which is going into the forest and soaking in, basically getting away from the concrete and the structures and this going into creation, right? This, going back into to surround yourself of you know of nature and i think there's something that awakens the people and right the wilderness outreach does that right you go out and you're detoxing from the things of the world you know um and it awakens in man certain things and i think they've and this this idea of forest bathing right which originates out of japan is this idea of just going out in the wilderness and getting away from things and just looking at trees and looking at complex um things such as leaves, right? Looking at the complexity of the forest floor and all that entails and all the details of creation that you kind of see and whether you're, you're seeing fractals or whether you're seeing whatever, just the structural things of a leaf or you're looking at the intricacy of the bark of whatever it may be, there's something in man that when he's, and they've talked about this too, that it's a great stress reliever to, to go into nature. And that's why they, less of this word, this idea of this forest bathing is kind of coming from, but still it's this idea of going into creation and and it awakens you know awakens things right it, but it also is you know it's kind of a stress reliever there's something something about that that certain sectors of society are kind of starting to see and then they put their own twist on it to some degree but it, they do see it as something good for humanity right but anyways yeah <laughs> yeah there are certain markers uh read a little bit about that uh that forest bathing phenomenon in japan they've done some studies with the uh the markers in the blood that um, maybe you can help me with this, but there are certain markers in their blood that indicates healthy well-being. Yeah. I can't think of the exact term for that right now, but they've, they've taken people out of the city. They've done these blood tests on them before they left the city. They take them out in the country for like a week mm -hmm. and let them just hang out doors right in the woods in the forest and what they find this amazing increase in this marker in the bloodstream that indicates well-being health 
immunity, right? It's an amazing effect. It really is this, uh, you know, getting back and this kind of, uh, we never got into, um, our intended conversation tonight was going to be about was going to be about Simon Sinek, which uh, we're going to put him off on the next week. But what's the the final kind of hook into to Simon Sinek there with what we're talking about is that is the way Simon Sinek has really studied the hormones in the body, and he's looked at the human creature and said, you know what, we're like neolithic people so all of humanity is like we're like our blood our you know our nervous system our bone structure everything about us is neolithic Mm. however we've created this super artificial environment that we are now living in and so we have this neolithic human creature that's created this super unorganic structure that we're living in and it's killing us. Hmm. And he refers to that, this problem as destructive abundance. So all the stuff we have around us, all the things we've got, all this is killing us. And, uh, and the market. So that's why all of a sudden we're, we're in this artificial environment and we can, and we can remove ourselves and go back into the forest and all of a sudden re regain some of that health. Right. And in that, that forest bathing process. So it's, it is interesting. So did you ever read that book, that comfort crisis? You know, I think I remember you talking about that, but uh, I, I haven't read it. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, Crawford Crisis by Michael Easton. Um, yeah, he talks, he, he, his whole thing is, you know, <laughs> kind of tying into Seneca here. You know, it's this idea of you know, we artificial environments, artificial, all these things that are kind of basically comfort is killing us. Right. <laughs> and there's nothing comfortable about the force, right? There's something that's always just, yeah, there's a survivalness, but there's also this, it's kind of this strange relationship getting back to, I don't know, call it a religion or this relationship with nature that you're kind of having to reawaken your heighten your senses and all these other things. And creativity starts to be, you know, they talk about how people's creativity really comes alive after being in the forest for a couple of days of just detoxing and awakens a man on many things, but but it also, you know, there's survival instinct is now all the things that we don't hear, the noises of the. Yeah. So, anyways, he, the, the, it's a good book because it's just it's chock full of science um, studies about getting out, stressing your body, tr- you know, trying all this hard stuff, and and um, yeah, it's a it, that would be a pretty good, interesting, you know, topic to talk about at some point. But he really ties in a lot of uh, a lot of this what you're talking about. The, with Simon Sinek here, this comfortable life that we we've created and how comfort is basically killing us. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, well, let's, let's do this next week, Michael, why don't you rejoin us? Send us some information on um, the comfort crisis. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, let's see. Where, where'd he go, Peter? He's gone. Is, is he, is he coming back? <laughs> there great. he is. <laughs> so, yeah, so Comfort Crisis by Michael Easton. Um, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, embrace discomfort to reclaim your wild, happy, healthy self. Now, have have you have you finished that book? Have you read it? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you could. So I'm going to send you a synopsis and summary of Cynic's work. Okay. Maybe you can send me. You know, just write a few paragraphs right page or so of uh information about what you how would you share that and then we'll get into cynic and the comfort crisis and the the uh, abundance uh destructive abundance crisis that we face next week okay yeah all right good deal and uh speaking of getting back out into the woods uh 
tomorrow we are heading down into the Hawking Hills with a group of 10 men uh, to the St. Martin de Poor's Family Retreat Center. And we're going to do some work down there for that retreat center. So we're going to be hanging out. We're going to be uh, doing some pickmatic work. We're going to construct a trail up out of the, the backyard into the woods, mm. kind of getting getting back into the going to bathe in the woods a little bit with our pickmatics and shovels and get our hands dirty. And, and we're going to take some chainsaws with us. There's some trees down there that need to be cleaned up. So we're going to help those folks out a little bit. Uh, that's going to be this coming weekend. And we're also in, in our evening discussion down there, we're going to talk about the strategy of dealing with woke in corporate America. So that's going to be the subject of our discussion while we're down there. A week from Saturday, we will be down at Clear Creek. We're going to do our annual Advent hike. So we're going to get out there and get in 10, 12 miles together. Always got a got a pretty good crew of guys meeting us down there on, uh, I believe that would be the 17th. And then uh, hope to put a winter camp together. Again, we want to be uncomfortable and healthy, right? So we're going to try to put a winter camp together in January down at Tar Hollow and camp out there and uh, see what the winter is going to do to us, see if we can handle that, say, in the first weekend of first week or so of January. Uh, coming up in um, – uh, we're going to be doing a, a father-son camp in March. And, uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe we can see your son because I think you came out, you came over this past uh, fall. So we're going to do a father son camp in Tar Hollow in March. And then in uh, May, and Michael, I don't think you heard about this, but we're going to go to the Rogue River. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it with Father uh, Streitenberger. You see that? So, yeah, so it's Father Streitenberger. We're going to go to the Rogue River and we're going to work on it. In Oregon, we're going to work on a 20-mile stretch of trail, the Rogue River Trail, and the, the Bureau of Land Management are going to supply us with rafts, and we're going to, we're going to have a moving camp. So we're going to raft our camp down the, <laughs> down the river while we work on the trail. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Oh, yeah, I saw that. I, didn't, I don't know if it was closed off to, to the uh, just the Ohio State guys, but... Yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder if, I can, I wonder if I can get on on that one. <laughs> you might be able to get on that. So, yeah, I want like, yeah, I want to have a couple of the older guys, you know, the old the old uh, uh, tough tough as leather type guys with those young young guys. Got got to show them what manhood's like, right? <laughs> and then, and then I'm hoping in um, in in uh, July we're gonna head back into Wyoming, do one of those. Uh, those laymen we might do a father-son trip out into wyoming this coming year oh, okay and that's going to be say like the third week in in july and then back into the sierra nevada in august so we're going to go back out there and visit debbie mcdougald and do oh, some uh, man you got a lineup this year man yeah we got a lineup so <laughs> we're, we're gonna i'm saying got to get out in the woods man yeah that that's a good lineup yeah that the rogue river oh ansel adams yeah Man. Yeah, I'm, fi- I'm fishing for Peter right now. You notice how quiet he's been there? Like, he hasn't even moved. This I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go to Oregon. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. I'm ready to camp this winter, too. Oh, I'd good. like to get some good ones in. That's, let's do that. Yeah, I've been wanting to bring Dominic because, you, know, you know, Joseph. Break Dominic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, get my uh, my other son, Dominic, out there. I, I, well, are you still doing a – are we cutting wood at the uh, Damascus? Yes, we are. That's going to be, thank you. Thanks for, because that's going to be the first weekend in March. Okay. And you got to get that on the calendar. So we'll be, yeah, maybe you can bring both uh, Joseph and uh, Dominic. So that would be really great. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to be, I may bring my uh, son in law too. Nice. Yeah, he's, uh, I've been wanting to get him, you know, he doesn't have too much sleep. So it's hard to get out on a long trip, but uh, this weekend's, you know, maybe, but, you know, best for him to get out on. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'd say uh, we're going to do a final prayer here, men, and all you good people that have been out there watching us. And uh, let's see here.
So I'll do the final prayer. And then, Peter, if you'll take care of the music, and uh, we'll see you folks next Thursday. And we will get into Simon Sinek, Destructive Abundance, and the Comfort Crisis. Does he, does the Sinek, what book is that? Uh, are you, is that one of his particular books? Yeah, the Leaders Eat Last. Leaders Eat Last, okay. Actually, some work he did with the Marine Corps. Okay. It's yeah, a good I got book. That. I think yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I have it. They gave it to me at work, and I just I haven't got around to it. So. It's worth it. I think he's working <laughs> on the level of the theology of the body, the way he talks about the hormones. Don't you think, Pete? Yeah, it's crazy. I just listened to a couple, like his TED talk and a couple other things today, and uh, it's very intriguing. But the way he talks about our bodies and the way we respond and the effects that our hormones have on us. It's, mm. Very, very intriguing. You'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You'll like it. It's going to be a good one next week for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to brush up on that one. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll send you the, we'll send you the links. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. All right. In the name of the father and the son, and the Holy spirit. Amen. Father, you prepared the Virgin Mary to be the worthy mother of your son. You let her share beforehand in the salvation Christ would bring by his death and kept her sinless from the first moment of her conception. Help us by her prayers to live your presence within without sin. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen.